Stupot is back, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Oz here on the Yahoo Sports Baseball Podcast. Chris Swick is not with us, but we do have a special guest instead, Liz Rocher from Big League Stew. Liz, how are you? Mike, I am very good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. We have, uh, I think, a lot of fun topics to talk about this week. The the World Baseball Classic, of course. I mean, it's just it's just the biggest thing going on in the world right now, obviously. Everyone's so excited. Um, I'm saying all that with a hint of sarcasm, people. Uh, I think equally... Equally interesting, I think, and I want to start here. We'll, we'll get to some World Baseball Classic stuff. We have uh, John Morosi from uh, MLB Network slash the the, uh, the king, the king of the WBC. The uh, <laughs> I, I struggle to come up with a, with a proper moniker uh, for for what the he emperor. Is. Yeah, because he's he's not just a reporter. I mean, he's a. I mean, he's he's the guy. Yeah, uh, we have him on the podcast this week. We're going to talk about a, a number of topics with him. Um, but I, I'm curious because we, we wrote about, we wrote about this recently, and you and I had been talking about it before we even uh, turned on the podcast stuff. A Rod and J Lo is is a thing that is apparently happening, um, and as a as a baseball blog, we can take ownership over this topic because A Rod has has been, you know, one of our main sources of entertainment for the last couple decades now. <laughs> My my question, Liz, this is what I go back to, right? Because I'm yes. I'm of the belief that most celebrity relationships are are fake for one reason or another. I'm wondering who this relationship helps more. Does it does it help A Rod? Does it make him look like more cool? Because I've kind of resigned myself to A Rod's kind of like now retired and he's a dad and he's not necessarily like you know that that New York City guy anymore. Or does it help J Lo? Who, you know, trying to still trying to be a star and and uh, maybe have a more age appropriate boyfriend than Drake. <laughs> oh, I mean, I I was surprised because I didn't think I didn't think J Lo dated people older than her or even around her same age bracket. Um, <laughs> I I think that this definitely helps J Lo more because I don't who cares who who A Rod is dating. I mean, no one, I mean, he's, he does baseball stuff now. He's constantly taking pictures with his children. He's got A-Rod Corp, which is my favorite thing. I like to imagine what he's actually doing, what the people around him are saying when he poses for pictures in his office, signing things. Maybe, and, maybe he, maybe A-Rod Corp is now the management company for J-Lo. Maybe, maybe it is. Um, but I mean, I think it helps her because it's a, a guy that a lot of people recognize. It's a sports star. I mean, they're two incredibly attractive people who look attractive together. It'll get them both in the tabloids a lot, I think. I mean, the, the, it was at the New York Daily News today that had the big, you know, J, well, you said it earlier, J-Rod? Yeah, that, J-Rod. that I think that is the, the prevailing nickname, though I liked A-Lo a little bit better. <laughs> but J-Rod I, J-Rod, I guess it is. A-Lo, A-Lo sounds like a better rapper than J-Rod sounds like, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I my, my wife, who is who is into all the gossip and the blind gossip items and stuff, told me that, um, shout out to my wife, by the way, for keeping me informed on these things, uh, said that it is indeed a, a fake a fake romance and that uh, J-Lo's people like to make her seem desirable uh, by always keeping her, you know, with a steady stream of, of celebrity boyfriends. And I think, I think more in the line of, like, she's a person who's you know, has value as an entertainer and who's desirable. So you should want to watch her shows. And, and I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that I've ever purposely watched anything or listened to anything that Jennifer Lopez was involved in um, because of her. So I'm, I'm probably not the target audience there, although I did like In Living Color. Um, she was obviously not the star. She was a dancer. But in retrospect, that was my favorite J-Lo project. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know if what... what I, I, and I, I agree with you that she probably has more to gain in the relationship than A-Rod does, but I just, I, I don't know that I'm the target audience for that, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I I can see how it would be fake, but I don't think A-Rod has had any fake relationships. Like, I don't know why he would do that. I don't see, there's no reason for him to, because he just got out of a, a relationship with the ex-wife of, a, of one of the founders of Google, mm-hmm. who's a, a Yale graduate and... By all accounts, incredibly intelligent. Um, so, I, like, I don't like. Why would he go into a fake relationship with Jennifer Lopez? I mean, maybe he feels like he needs the press, but the guy just signed like a a deal to be an analyst on Fox, I and mean, so maybe that helps. 
Maybe it, it helps, but I, I don't think he needs Jennifer Lopez to make headlines. I mean, the guy sneezes on Instagram and he makes headlines. Look, A-Rod <laughs> sneezed. So, for, for people like us, Liz. Yeah, for people, I'll, yeah, that for people like us. Listen, if, if I have to write about A-Rod sneezing, that's a good day for me. From one tabloid person to another, uh, Tim Tebow made his Mets debut this week, which uh, <laughs> I, got, yeah, I, got, I got the emails about that, uh, the apologists and... <laughs> People, He's people, learning. People Mikey's will, learning. People are, are st- will steady give him a pass, man. And I got some people who were mad at me that I, that I wrote about him kind of giving the ump that stare down uh, when he struck out. And they're like, well, he smiled. And I'm like, yeah, maybe he did smile, but it doesn't mean that he was happy. Like, it wasn't like he was like, thank you for striking me out. <laughs> um, uh, so, like... But like, let's. I, this is what I was thinking, right? Let's just pretend that wasn't Tim Tebow; that it was Yasiel Puig, and you know he struck out and kind of glared back at the umpire. Like, I just kind of looked at him and smiled. What would that, the reaction would be different, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it would be. I'm, I'm just saying, guys. I'm just saying. Like, you, you the could, emails we'd be getting about that would be a lot different. Yeah, they would be. So, I, I doubt those people are listening to the podcast right now. If you are. Uh, thank you, and, and maybe, maybe <laughs> reconsider the way you treat people. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tim Tebow, you know, I guess the narrative is always going to be that Tim Tebow is uh, uh, always doing the right thing, you know, and everyone's always doing the wrong thing to Tim Tebow. At least that, that's what I've gotten so far from from uh, the responses to his Mets debut. Uh, we'll see what happens when he plays the outfield. I'm very excited about that. Oh God, yes, uh, and and I don't, you know, and I'm not one of those people that like thinks that Tebow is um, an abomination to baseball. Like I, I, I mean, I kind of joked yesterday that the idea of him getting mad at the umpire is is in fact a baseball thing to do, right? I mean, it's kind of like that's you're, what you're supposed to you're do. Earning, you're earning your merit badge. You're supposed to get mad. You know, you you have that one now. Got mad at the umpire merit badge. So good job, exactly. Tebow. Um, but I, I, it's just amazing to me how people will apologize for everything, and and I mean, even when it's I mean, obvious that he, you know, is is not um, a, a big league ball player. Not to say that he can't be. I mean, maybe it'll take him a couple of years, and maybe he will. But he's not just going to slide into baseball and, and be a be a ball player. Um, no, like the Mets, the Mets could throw off a hundred thousand dollars or whatever to sign him because who cares? But they want to win enough that they're not going to put him near a, a team that means anything, you know, until he's ready, if he ever is. So I'm looking forward to the day where the Mets actually make a statement on what they think of him, which, you know, I think will take the pressure off of those of us saying that he doesn't look great and put it on them who are officially saying, no, he's not very good. Yeah. And and in the meantime, let's sell some tickets and sell some, sell some stuff, right? Exactly. I'm hoping that people will eventually cover, I want to see how, um, is it Sanders Cummings? I think is his name. Yeah. The uh, the yeah. the football player, the actual, you know, who had some success a little bit in uh, the NFL before uh, he was injured. Uh, but he was signed by the Braves, and I'm I'm very eager to see how he did. Uh, he does because uh, they were actual baseball players trading him, and who have said good things about him. And so I'm I like I'd like to look at this and see sort of compare the two of them as they move up, mm-hmm. see what people say and how much attention they get. So let's let's talk about something that's actual baseball and not just sort of these... Baseball uh, adjacent. The, tab, the tabloid, tabloidy things. WBC is going on. I kind of joked about it earlier, and I think that... Um, I think it's fun. I think it's great that we have baseball to watch, but I think that for the most part, you know, it's, it's not really hitting the... Uh, you know, the mainstream sports world right now. We're, we're still probably talking way more about where is Tony Romo going to go than we are about, you know, who's going to win the WBC. But you've been watching um, probably a little bit more WBC than me just because the way that the time the times are. Uh, you've been writing a lot of stuff for us, which has been great. So what are your early thoughts on uh, how the WBC has been going so far and its, and its relative coolness for baseball fans? I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I, I think it's so much fun. Um, I love that they had um, that they had games in Tokyo and in Seoul because it's fun and interesting to watch fans there. Um, one of the things I want to do in the future is actually is go to Japan and go and see a baseball game there. 
Um, cause it's, it's so interesting to see what they do like in a crowd, um, in, you know, as opposed to what we do and, you know, instead of sort of directionless cheering they've have in Japan, they have chants for every single player that they all remember. And they have these, I think they're thunder sticks or something. It's, it's, it makes for a very interesting atmosphere. Um, and the, the baseball itself has for the most part been really good. I mean, there've been some one-sided contests, but there was a game, I think it must have been Thursday morning, early Thursday morning. It was um, a game that meant nothing. It was Chinese Taipei and Korea playing solely for the right to not have to go through the qualifying process to just qualify. Um, and it was, it went into extra innings. It featured a, a comeback, a 6-0 comeback from Chinese Taipei. It was it, really exciting and fun. So I'm I'm enjoying it a whole lot. I think that one of the best things that could happen for them so far is like Israel kind of propping up as a out of nowhere team. Uh, Netherlands, who you look at the roster, Netherlands is pretty good, but mm-hmm. you know not a team that you would expect to be necessarily good. It's not like they're the Dominican Republic or something, but they have a lot of um, you know. If you don't, I guess if you don't know sort of how they built that team or, or know the the country connections, like. There's not a lot of great baseball players from the Netherlands, right? But it's it's because they're all is it Aruba, right? Or what what country is it that they're from that they have Curacao? Okay, yeah, there you go. Thank you, Liz. Um, so you know, yeah, they're not actually from the Netherlands, but um, but if you look at the roster, you're like, oh, they got you know all these all these great uh, big league like, or good big, big league players. And, but I think that's interesting. It's not the teams you expect, and I think that's something that people would buy into a little more. Um, it gets the attention. But I think Israel, you know. First and foremost, especially in the, in the in the early go right now, where you know a lot of the, the MLB stars aren't playing, I think that's helped make it a little more interesting. Um, if it was just kind of Japan and and Korea rolling over people, you know, it, may, it maybe wouldn't be as fun. Um, yeah, well, it's sort of like the NCAA tournament. What you want is for there to be a, an underdog Cinderella story that can sort of carry the narrative and um, bring more people into it. Um, you know, to watch it. Exactly. So I think that's a very good point. And I think we'll, we'll see what happens next when Team USA starts playing, which uh, that's going to be tomorrow. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the other pools now are going to get started up soon with the Dominicans and um, Puerto Rico, I think, is going to be a great team to watch with uh, all those great young MLB players. So we're going to talk about John Mar- We're going to talk to John Morosi about a lot of those things, um, including, you know, I think the what I think is probably the most interesting you know, overview point in the whole thing, which is uh, how much does America care? How much will America care if we succeed, if we fail? Uh, you know, what's it going to take to actually bring in like our top talent? So we talked a lot about that stuff. We talked about um, some uh, teams that aren't getting enough love, should get more love. Uh, what else? What do we, oh, we, Liz, you talked about, you talked, asked him about uh, like how he got into it all. Cause you know, again, super mega reporter. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, who, what player? What player is going to have a, a breakout WBC? Which I thought he had a great answer for. So yes, uh, check out that interview now with John Morosi of MLB Network. This is the Stewpod on Yahoo Sports. Hey, we're back on the Stew Pod. Mike Oz, Liz Rocher here, and we have uh, the pleasure to be joined by John Morosi of MLB Network slash, I guess, the, the grand ambassador of, of the World Baseball Classic, I think, is uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of what he is these days. He's part of MLB Network's exclusive coverage of the tournament alongside with uh, Matt, Bar- Matt Vaskurgeon and John Smoltz, and you can see him all over your, your TV uh, on MLB Network coming up this weekend and in the championship round in Los Angeles. And if you're not following him on Twitter, you, you are missing, I guess, I think every breaking news bit about the WBC. So I follow him at John Morosi. Uh, John, I, the first question I have to ask you, what else in your life do you love as much as you love the WBC? Uh, <laughs> let's start with a tough question there. Uh, I would say my family, 
and uh, there are probably few things in the world that I actually, at this, at this particular moment, as I think about uh, my family, loved ones, those closest to me, uh, the, the, the WBC is probably their top five things that, that I care about most in my life. But, um, Mike, it really does, for me, it, it sort of marries a lot of things that I care about. It's a great international tournament. I love learning about other cultures and uh, and sort of experiencing their uh, their way of life through sports. So I've always I've always always loved doing that. And so uh, this this sport and the way that baseball intersects with all these different countries around the world. We've got games going on all around the clock this week. It's just to me I I can't think of an event that I love more than this. So really it's it's been an honor for me to be involved in it and I uh, just can't wait for Team USA to get going. Brings up a good question. How did you get into uh, loving the WBC so much? How did you get into it? Period. Well, Liz, the first couple times, so in 06 and 09, I was actually a spectator. So like uh, like everyone else, just watching it uh, from a distance in 06, I was actually uh, still a uh, still working in the Hearst Newspapers Fellowship as a business reporter at the Houston Chronicle. So I wasn't even uh, yet back into baseball full-time. I remember watching uh, the 06 games at the office there in, in Houston, Texas. And then uh, three years later, I was on the Tigers beat, so I was uh, ensconced in Lakeland, Florida, covering the Tigers. That spring, of course, Jim Leland's Tigers, and now, of course, Jim's the manager of of, uh, of Team USA. But uh, so, th- actually, 13 was my first time uh, actually covering the event. I covered the first round, and then uh, the, the semis and the finals in San Francisco. And uh, I just remember it was it was really perfect uh, for my family because uh, uh, I'm Italian-American, of course, and my wife is Mexican-American, and our, our daughter, Gabriella, had just been born the previous year uh, in, in 2012, and, and uh, she'd never been to a baseball game in the first you know months of her of her life in, in 2012. So the very first game she saw was that classic between Italy and Mexico, uh, so our two teams, as we were saying it, uh, in, the, in Scottsdale, Arizona, they're the first game of pool play in 2013. So uh, it, was a, it was a very poignant family moment and uh it was a great game so i think from, from that point on um the wbc really was was in my heart and uh it's only grown stronger since then i think in general is it's to me i just love the olympics i love the world cup soccer uh i, I just find that as as a journalist and as a sports fan because i'm i'm still both um that you just get different answers you get different perspective from players um, when they're putting on the, the, the U.S. jersey or their national team's jersey. I think that in baseball, uh, one of the great things about the game is that we play every day. But I think sometimes that can run counter to really seeing the, the personality and just giving the, the bandwidth and the time and space for us to learn more about these players that, that we see every day because I think they have to talk before and after the game so many times, and there's, just, there's not a lot of time to sit down and, and talk about you, the person, the player. And I think that the, when you put on your national team's jersey, we just learn more about these players. And I just find it fascinating as a journalist, as a fan, uh, talking to Manny Machado on Monday about putting on the Dominican jersey for the first time and how different it felt for him, the chills that he felt putting on the jersey of his parents' homeland. Of course, Manny grew up in Miami. And then just earlier this week as well, Eric Hosmer talking to him and his parents, who actually were there at Team USA's first workout, about their pride at him playing for Team USA in Miami, just five miles away from where his father Mike had worked for uh, for 30 years as a Miami firefighter, and then five miles away from where Ileana, his mother, had landed with her family coming from Cuba. Um, and so it's just the, the stories that you hear, uh, we've seen Eric Hosmer play in, in the World Series, and we, we've seen him be the MVP of the All-Star Game, but, but I think to hear that part of his story is maybe something we don't hear as often. So I just love being able to, to maybe peel back those layers on what we normally talk about to really learn more about the people that, that we see now playing uh, Major League Baseball. So do you think Team USA has a chance with all the talent out there? (laughs) I do. I do, Liz. They're they're my pick. So I've got them beating beating the Dominican in the final game. Um, And I I have this for a a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, the position player group, I think we could all agree – you could compare it to 06 when, when Team USA had A-Rod and Jeter and Griffey, uh, and Teixeira was obviously just coming into his prime at that point in time. It was a very exciting team. Um, but this team, to me, the position player group, is, is at least as good and probably the best position player group they've ever had for Team USA. And then you look at the, the rotation, and I realize there's been conversation, okay, no Kershaw, no Bumgarner, fine. But you look at the guys they've got, and uh, I made the point uh, earlier this week, Tanner Roark, there were only four pitchers in the majors this past year that threw at least 210 innings with an ERA under three. It was uh, Bumgarner, 
Scherzer, Cueto, and Roark. So uh, that's a pretty strong testament to Roark, who, of course, is part of the rotation. Archer was a Cy Young candidate back in 2015. And, and I think that the key thing we've seen, too, Liz, is, is when you look at the WBC, it's all about how a particular pitcher is feeling and pitching on the day, on that day. And, and you look at the way Archer has pitched uh, in spring training. He's been very much on his game. Stroman, I think, has been very good this spring as well. Smiley's been very good. Roark's been very good this spring. So they came to camp ready. And um, I think that's the key thing is to remember that not every country has all their best pitchers either. Cueto's not pitching in the first round for the Dominican. Otani's not pitching for Team Japan. So it's somewhat of a level playing field in that regard and, and, and certainly Liz it's well past time for Team USA to address this uh, 10 and 10 record they've had over the first three WBCs. John I think regardless of of what happens even if they win I mean there's still going to be some people who just don't care because you know it doesn't have the, the marquee stars um, what would you what would it take for Team USA to actually assemble like a dream team you know like squad for, for the future would, would that ever happen? It's a great question, Mike. And what I would tell you is this: I think for for the time of year, um, this this is probably as as close to a dream team as we're going to see. Now, maybe it's one more pitcher here or there. Uh, you know, again, if Kershaw were feeling better, or if Bumgarner were feeling better, maybe we maybe we see them on this team. But I think for this time of year, this is the closest we're probably going to get to a dream team, and that to me is fine. Now, the the second part of the question that I would answer is, if you look to the future, and let's say Team USA wins it. Or let's say Team USA gets to the final and loses in a classic game to Japan or, or the Dominican. Then I think you've at least got the foundation for the next WBC or maybe an intermediate year where in All-Star Week you've got a, the All-Star Game on Tuesday and then maybe, hey, let's, let's play on Wednesday when we've got no other sport going on in this country during the middle of July. Let's on Wednesday play an international showdown in the same site as the All-Star Game, Japan against the U.S., or the Dominican against the U.S. I, I venture to say that, uh, that after Saturday's game, which is the Dominican against the U.S., showdown in Miami, sold-out crowd already, I would venture to say that if you put those same two national teams on the field in Marlins Park, which, by the way, is where the All-Star game is going to be this year, if you had all these players who most of them are going to be there anyway in the All-Star game on Tuesday, hey, U.S. national team, Dominican national team, how about you guys hang back one more day? Let's, let's bring out the batting cage and the balls, and let's play one more game before everybody leaves town on Wednesday night in Miami. That would do phenomenally well, I believe, in the ballpark. I think TV ratings would be sensational because it's the middle of summer. We're ready for baseball at that point in time collectively as a country. And, and so I think that, to me, Mike, is where this tournament can go. Maybe you at some point in time play the prelim preliminary rounds in, in March, uh, and then the semis and the finals of the All-Star break, because I think very, uh, very importantly, we've now uncoupled the All-Star game from home field advantage in the World Series. Gives you more creativity to maybe market the game in an, in an international way uh, at that time of year in a way that maybe we haven't done quite before. So I think it opens up a lot of possibilities. The final note I have on this, too, is you look at the, the ways that maybe after a season is over, let's say, We've seen tours in the past where, the, where a collection of MLB All-Stars have gone over to Japan or Taiwan or Korea to play um, different series after a season is over. Well, again, if the U.S. and Japan have a fantastic final game in this tournament, why not have that team that goes over to Japan be a U.S. national team wearing the U.S. jersey in November after the World Series is over? And again, maybe you wouldn't get all the players, but you'd probably get a pretty good representation, especially if this tournament goes well. And that's where maybe you play a seven-game series. Maybe you split it up between L.A. and, and Tokyo in, in November, and you, you just stretch out that amount of time where you can really market the game internationally. So I think there are different iterations, Mike, where maybe you could have different types of groups of U.S. players. And I think the best time, I think the optimal time, is probably to do it, to do it at the All-Star break when you've got all those players already there in mid-season form. And, of course, we know by the pitching rules, not every pitcher can actually pitch in the All-Star game based on their rest situation. So maybe there's a way to involve that in a future All-Star game. I do think the All-Star game idea is pretty interesting. I'm going to throw something at you just from a different standpoint. Going back to, you know, getting peak involvement here. Um, and I don't think this is going to happen this year. But what if, what if Team USA just got embarrassed? I mean, what if they just don't even make it out of the pool play? Do you think that would change the, the minds of people in a way of like, we can't, we can't let our country do this. I mean, we, we have to, Mike Trout, okay, I got to go play now. You know, do, do, you, do you think that might happen? 
it's, it's a good question. I think to me, Mike, I, I, I think the best motivation in this tournament is more on the, on the positive side than the negative, which means that if, if Team USA doesn't play well in this tournament, uh, to me, I, I think it would reinforce some of the criticisms that I think are really unjustified, but I think it would, it would just reinforce some of those stereotypes that have been put out there about U.S. performance in this tournament. Whereas on the positive end of things, if Team USA wins this tournament, um, and, and there are players in camps that could have played on the team that are watching these games on TV, and they're just shaking their heads saying, why didn't I play? <laughs> I, I think you're, yeah. you're going to hear more of that, yeah. I think, on the positive side of things. I think that's probably the greater motivator, because if things go really well, you, you've got guys like Nolan Arenado and Christian Yelich who have not played in the playoffs before, and all of a sudden now they have national exposure, international exposure, which is good for them, Personally, it's also good for them from a marketing standpoint because in baseball, we've talked before, Mike, I'm sure we have over the years about just the way that the, the, the game is structured, how, how regional it is. And it's, it's, a great, it's a great sport that obviously you're so wedded and married to your particular favorite team. Well, this is the one thing that can really transcend that. So to me, even from just a purely selfish standpoint, let's, let's set aside the, the, the very real patriotic motivations here, but just from a selfish standpoint, I have a chance to, to get the whole country on my side in a way that it really isn't during the course of the regular season. Why wouldn't I do this? I mean, to me, I, if I'm an agent, I would want my players involved in this all the time because I think it, it just pro- provides a different platform for you to reach people and have people invest in your success that really hasn't been the case for some for some players i'm sure as as they have not been in the playoffs before so to me it's it's a great opportunity for, for each individual player let alone the the importance uh, i think of, of sort of answering the phone call when it comes from joe torrey or jim leland about representing your country so i, I look at it more on the positive end of things could it be a, a motivator if team usa falls flat perhaps but i think one thing mike that 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 Team USA has done a very good job of in, the, in this tournament is involving more of the young guys, uh, whether they represent Team USA in the past at the amateur level or not. But I think you develop a culture with your younger group where Arenado wants to play and, and Bregman wants to play and Yelich wants to play. So that way when the phone call comes in four years, it's an immediate yes. I think that's a very important thing. Archer, Stroman, same thing. So I think you have to develop that culture where we saw it in basketball develop after the embarrassment for the, I think it was 2004 for the Olympic basketball team. Then all of a sudden LeBron was on board and Durant was on board and Kobe was on board and the stars all bought it. And then all of a sudden it was really cool to play for the national team. I think if the U S wins this tournament, Mike, it's going to be cool to play for team USA in the WBC. I think we'll probably see even more players want to do it four years from now. So we're going to switch gears just a little bit and look outside the U S to other teams. Um, Israel and uh, Israel and the Netherlands have sort of burst onto the scene uh, already just a couple of days in as teams that are sort of very hot and uh, they're advancing to the next level. Um, what are their chances of actually making it to the finals? I think decent. I, re- I really do think that, Liz. You look at the way that that's, that bracket is structured, and uh, first and foremost, I'll say that, that Israel has shown the benefit of First of all, playing together, which, of course, they did in the qualifier in, in September. They built some chemistry at that point in time. And it really continued on. And also, they've got a manager in Jerry Weinstein who knows how to manipulate your pitching staff under tournament rules. Uh, I, I was trading emails with him before the tournament started. He told me, basically, I've got a two-man starting rotation, Marquis and Baker, and then 14 relievers. 14, which which you can then go to, and that's how if, if you've got a pitcher that gets in trouble, it's like I remember back in, in Game 7 of the World Series back in, in 2014 in Kansas City. Remember that where Hudson got in trouble early and Guthrie got in trouble? They, they were basically both out by the third inning. That's how you've got to manage this thing because if you've got enough relievers and you can get everybody enough rest and you can keep them all short, that way they don't have to take two days off. So he's got a 14-man bullpen. And so if your starter gets in trouble, okay, I'll take him out in the second inning. Who cares? I've got 14 relievers sitting there. So I, I think it just it changes the way the paradigm uh, of, of approaching a baseball game is, and I think Jerry understands that. And you've seen him have phenomenal success with Team Israel there in the first round. I expect he's going to continue to be a very, very tough team to beat now in the second round. Of course, he's got Josh Zide, who pitched very long for him in, in relief. Marquis has been so versatile. So I really like their chances. And, of course, the Dutch team, as you mentioned, um, already advancing too. Uh, of course, they're infield, one of the best infields, maybe the best in the entire uh, tournament. You've got Scope at second, of course, played all 162 last year for the Orioles. Simmons at short, Bogarts at third. You've got 
Profar, of course, who can play the infield, playing center field for the Dutch team. So Hensley Mullins managed them last time, actually, all the way to the semifinals of the WBC in San Francisco back in 2013. So they've got some good experience. Pitching, of course, is a question for them, I think, at times. But I, I like what they've been able to do so far in terms of the team they've put together. So I think the Dutch team's got a decent chance. Japan, you'd have to say, is, is still the favorite coming out of that, uh, that, that second-round pool. Uh, but, but still, I think the Dutch and the Israelis have a chance to really um, continue the momentum they've had. And I think, too, I'll make the point as well about, about Team Israel. This is one of the things I love about this tournament because by, just by these games going well for Israel and advancing now to the second round, we will never be able to fully comprehend for another 20 years probably the impact of this tournament in Israel. Because now you can build more uh, academies there, have more government support for the sport. I, I was talking to Peter Kurz, who's the director of the Federation there, who said he's been uh, hearing from all these different uh, newspaper reporters in Israel who are covering this now and giving it attention in, in Israel. I mean, once, once you have a moment like this, it, just, it can really affect the whole course of baseball in your country's history, which is just a phenomenal thing to be able to say, and it's, it's true. It is absolutely true. So I, I think we'll see, I'm sure, more infrastructure and invested, investment now in Israel for baseball academies and fields, and, and more kids that just simply see this and dream about playing for their team internationally. So it's, it's a great achievement for Israel, and one that I think is going to have a manifestly positive impact on the game's growth there uh, for years to come. Two-parter for you here, John. Which team do you think is not getting enough love at this point, and uh, which team do you think is, is getting a little too much love? Not enough love. I would say uh, Mexico. I think that uh, they're going to be a tough team to beat in Mexico. Uh, their pitching is always strong. Uh, they've got, of course, Adrian Gonzalez at first base, and Alex Verdugo, good Dodgers prospect, will play center field yeah. for them. I think he's a very exciting young player. So I think Mexico, that's going to be a very, very tough out for them, I think, in the uh, in the first round there. Um, the, domestically, I, I think everybody else is pretty much properly rated for the for the two pools in in the in the U.S. and in, in Mexico. Puerto Rico, we know of course how good their infield is going to be as well. Lindor and Correa and Baez again. That's that's right there with the Dutch in terms of the most exciting infields to watch play. Um, Colombia, uh, you you could say that maybe uh, someone might might answer that question that way. But I, for me, I think they are properly. Rated as a as a very dangerous team to play in the first round. You got those uh, pitchers, man. You look man. at the uh, Quintana for for game one. Tehran is going to Tehran probably is going to pitch against Canada, and of course his teammate in Atlanta. He'll pitch against Canada there in game two. Julio will so it, with uh, with Freddie Freeman. So I think it's going to be a phenomenal tournament for them. And again, they are one uh, one one day away from changing the whole narrative of baseball in that country too, and, and really uh, turning the whole tournament on its head because that is not an easy assignment, Mike, to have. Quintana be your first assignment as, as it will be for Team USA. So uh, I, I would say in that case, I think maybe Mexico a little underrated, but everybody else, I think the hype for Colombia is real. I think it's, this team's going to be very tough to beat, and I'm also excited to see Freddie Freeman, of course, representing his, his parents' homeland, of course, representing and honoring his late mother, Rosemary, uh, by playing for Canada. So a, a great story there for Freddie Freeman. All right, so I need just one player, one name, who you think is going to raise, raise his stock in the WBC over the next few weeks? All right. This, this is a great question, Liz, and, and I'll answer it this way. One of my favorite names in this <laughs> entire tournament is Tito Polo. He's the center fielder from Colombia. Tito Polo. Phenomenal name. He's, he's on both the all-name team and Morosi's all-tournament uh, emerging team, okay, because he's, he's that good. So he's a, a prospect for the Yankees, and he is from a tiny island in the, in the middle of the Caribbean, which is, which is actually off the coast of Nicaragua, but it's called San Andres Island. It's actually part of Colombia, even though it's in the middle of, of, of the sea, and it's actually closer to Nicaragua. And uh, it's, it's, sort of a, it's an island that's got the, a bit of a baseball tradition, but it's very small. 70,000 people on this island. So he was signed by the Pirates, and Rene Gallo, their great international scout, had signed him. And Tito Polo, I've, I've actually seen photos, because it's a coral island, he actually he's a phenomenal diver. So he's actually like, I've, I've seen pictures of him, like basically what looks to be on the seafloor with like no snorkel gear. He's just like a, a freakish athlete that can dive to the bottom of the sea and apparently chase down balls in center field as well. So Tito Polo, Yankees prospect, who came over in the Nova trade and um, is, uh, is, I'm told, uh, just a, a freakishly phenomenal athlete. And he also has a great name and a great backstory from San Andres Island there in the middle of the Caribbean. So how's that for an emerging off-the-radar star from a tiny island, which is half the size of Manhattan, with 70,000 people? It's good, and I think it's going to be easy for people to remember. 
I think people can remember Tito Polo. Tito Polo. Sure, we're, 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 I'm gonna watch. It. I'm gonna. I'll be down there in the camera wall during the games. Tito Polo, there he is. So it's it's gonna be. Uh, I'm excited about it. It, it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> also, kind of sounds like a pro wrestler. I feel like. Exactly. I mean, it is a name that is impossible for our listeners and all of us to forget. So, again, Tito, Tito Polo, Polo, he may even be batting leadoff for the Colombians. Very excited to watch Tito play. Well, remember, guys, you heard that here from uh, John Morosi. And, again, if you're not following him on Twitter during the WBC, you really need to. He has just all the info, anything you want to know. And, of course, you can see him on MLB Network. Uh, they're, they're the exclusive home for, for WBC coverage. So, John, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, thank you for enlightening us with all your WBC wisdom. And hope you enjoy the tournament as much as it seems like you are going to. Yeah, my, my pleasure. As you can tell, that this really was a really had to kind of twist my arm to make sure I was able to talk about the WBC. This was really a tough assignment for me to be able to <laughs> talk about with you guys. But no, it was it was a lot of fun. Thanks for thanks for having me on, and certainly it's always my pleasure to be involved in this tournament. So thanks so much for uh, for, for the chance to talk to you today. Welcome back to the Stew Pod. Thanks to John Morosi and Liz Rocher for hanging with us. Now it is the time of the show where I reunite with my main man, the dude who who brings me so much joy in my life. I'm not going to do a hip hop um, a hip hop intro for you today, but I want to do this. Are you ready for it? Okay. But 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 bad news, ramen. Can I do that? Can I drop that on you? It, as long as it's kind of like a but 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 way that gets worse, then I think we're okay. See, no, I, I was, no, I was it, still... was, it was a it was an NWO thing. It was NWO, but I just did Onyx. I think <laughs> Onyx did that, right? But but yeah. But, but, but wait, it gets worse. I'm not. Yeah, that, that, down, so that was Onyx, the wasn't it? Yeah, coming yeah, through they, with they, a plan. They they suck, dude. I, I know. I know. You used, used to make some noise. Just, you, just you used to bump that. Used to bump that slam song all over the place. I know you like that song, dude. I honestly I heard, so you I heard that song on the radio the other day, and I was like, yeah, the song. Here we go. Do you, do you know, do you know, a song I, I heard the other day. Actually, I heard it yesterday, and I reconnected with an old friend. Um, you know who he is, but nobody else would. Uh. But I heard Dear Mama, and I had to text this guy and just say, like, Dear Mama, because he used to, like, sing it really bad. So, yeah. You're, you're bringing back good memories right now, which is a lot better than I'm Dear doing Mama. right now because I'm, 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 in, I'm in this really rich part of, of California, and I'm, like, breaking out in hives, dude. I, I can't hang around rich people, dude. I, I just don't get it, man. You, I don't uh, get I don't get being rich. I'm like, I, I just feel like, I'm like, dude, what's up with you being rich, dude? And I'm like, why do you act that way? Because I'm rich. I'm like, oh, okay. Can we, can we back up, though, and say that? You gave a you gave a Tupac shout out on the the twentieth anniversary of Biggie's death. On um, Biggie's death, so am I trying to say that Tupac killed Biggie Smalls? No, actually, no. We'll say I, that I, we're we're gonna do we're gonna do, we're gonna end the podcast today with Tupac versus Biggie, but we're gonna talk baseball first. Okay. Um, I, I for for those of you who who don't know as much about Bad News Ramen as as I do personally, I'm the man. This is <laughs> this is what I throw at you. You are you you are Puerto Rican, right? Yes, I am. Japanese. You got that right too. Live in America. A uh, little, little bit of, little bit of, of Shea White. Yes, I am. I said you, you live in America. Um, oh, I live in America, but I, but I'm also, I'm, I'm a little bit Scottish as well. But, but okay, I, I well, the, the Scottish well. is not in the tournament. Who are you pulling for in the WBC, or do you care? Oh, come on, dude. Japan all the way. Yeah. Any, anything with Japan, dude? I'm there, man. Puerto Rico. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just Japan, just because uh, you know. Ichiro won it for him the past two years. I don't even know if he's playing this year, no. but um, so well, maybe, maybe I go for Puerto Rico then. No, I, I always go for Japan. I, I like I like Japan baseball. I like the way they play. Because Puerto Rico has Puerto Rico, I would say, is one of the most interesting teams. I don't think they're necessarily going to win because they don't have the pitching, but the infield is Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez, Carlos. Yeah, Beltran. but you know, you know, I, I've already rooted for uh, Team Puerto Rico. That was called like the 1996 Yankees team. So I mean, <laughs> I, I've I've been there, done that, dude. Um, I, I, I wanted to use that to get into the WBC a little bit because we're talking about it. As, as you, someone who is not you know, like, like us, we've, we've had a bunch of journalists on the show today like, like yeah. talking, about, talking about the WBC. And, of course, we're all invested in it because it's baseball right now, you know, and better than spring training games. Do you, do you care about the World Baseball Classic? Is it something for you as a, as a baseball fan that you're like, oh, I'm going to watch this? Or are you just like, eh, I'll just see what happens on, on the Internet? Um, so... I like the World Baseball Classic, but I only like it when it's like the last four teams. I, I think when I was a journalist uh, at the time when they first introduced it, I, I liked it because of the novelty of it, of all the you're seeing players play together and, and sort of nationalities and stuff. 
Um, as of right now, like I, 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 t- I turned on. Here's a problem that, that I have right now with this year's baseball classic is that. So I, I was watching a little bit, probably like an inning. I think it was like, uh, yeah, those that country over there and this country over there. <laughs> it was a blowout. It was like eleven to four or something like that. Um, but at the same time, so while that's going on, there's a spring training game on too. So I was like, dude, I'm like, well, what the heck's going on? I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if, if it was just like World Baseball Classic by itself without spring training, I'd probably be more interested in it. But I understand why they need spring training. But um, in years past or the, the past two iterations, I was much more interested in than I am right now. Do you, as someone who, who is in the pulse of the people, you interact with the people on a daily basis? Um, I'm kind of joking. I mean, I'm sure you don't talk baseball with people or anything. I, I, I interact with the, with the you, man. You know, so yeah, I, I pound the, I'm pounding pavement, dude. I'm like a Dell over here, pounding pound pavement, whatever that's called. <laughs> that's but, chasing, I, but I do interact with pavements. people. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like America as a whole cares about the WBC and or how America performs in the WBC? Not at all. Uh, you know, it. There's too much. there's too much going on, dude. I mean, even like, even like with me, it's like I've taken on more. I don't, may not seem like now, but I've taken on more responsibility with my job. I've gotten promoted. I don't have time to, to sit there. and especially like, yay, hey, woohoo, yeah. Um, but you know, I'm coaching as well, so it's like I'm coaching little league. So it's like out of all these things, and, and this is just like I'm like a a majority fraction of the people that have that do way more than I do. But I mean, it's just I just don't have time for the World Baseball Classic. I think once you get to like the last four games, that there's a way, a better way for them to kind of promote it. I think people will watch it. But uh, as of right now, nobody really cares. So if it's if it's Japan versus Team USA in the finals, you're you're tuning in for that. But I'm tuning in for that. You're not I'm, tuning in for you know the second like, game of pool play. Not yeah. Not only will I would I tune in for that, I would actually record it and watch mm-hmm. it during my my laser. Because I'm, I'm honestly curious to know like how this, this tournament goes. Like I think it's interesting on a lot of levels, but I also fully recognize the fact that most people you know, care more about NFL free agency and, and the minutia of, of NFL free agency than they care about you know, an, an international baseball tournament at this point. Well, I mean, I, sport, I mean, Sports Talk Radio, like, as of the day that we're recording the podcast, I mean, you're probably going to show it later today or, you know, post it later today. It's all about it's all about free agency. Like, I know more about the New England Patriots free agency than I do about what, what the record of Team USA is. On top they of have, that... They haven't played the, yet. Yeah, see, there you go, see? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but on top of that, it's like, it, the World Baseball Classic seems like it's kick, kick gloves, right? It's like you still you still have limitations with pitchers. Like if if one if the pitcher on say your team is going to pitch for the World Baseball Classic, you're not thinking like, man, I can't wait to see this guy pitch. You're going like, I hope this guy doesn't get hurt. I hope he doesn't yeah. it doesn't add to his inning count. It's going to affect him during the season. It's just one of those things where, um, you know, maybe you shouldn't maybe you shouldn't be left for for the for the pros. I mean, maybe maybe it's more kind of a, of a college game. And I have no problem with college kids playing against. You know, country athletes. I really don't care, but gonna, I, they I just, get, they'll get waxed by Japan, though. They'll get waxed by Japan, and but you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it, I don't know, dude. I mean, what? I don't know if there if there's a cure for cure for any of this. I mean, it's kind of like the same thing. Like to me, it's like it's not like it's like oh, the World Baseball Classic. Oh, it's in trouble. It's, it's, you can say it's the same thing about like the NBA All Star Game, uh, the NFL Pro Bowl. I mean, it's it's just one it's one of those type of sporting events. If the MLB is looking to make major money off of it or increase their marketing or whatever like that, um, maybe they shouldn't invest so much money in the U.S. They should invest it elsewhere, make it part of their international budget, and then that, that'll build up uh, interest internationally. But uh, uh, domestically, forget it. So I, I'm going to switch gears on you uh, because I know that this is a topic that you are – but well, I, we, I answered that pretty. I answered that pretty good, huh? No, you were good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, we, yeah, thanks, man. We, at this point, we've just talked about the World Baseball Classic for like thirty minutes, and and the, the <laughs> one of, one of the cruxes of the point is like people don't care, so we got to move on to different topics, right? Okay. Um, I, this is something that I know you're interested in. I, I, it's one of your favorite pastimes is to tell me how much better than me you are at fantasy baseball. Yes. So I want to I want to throw a a scenario out for you. Um, I recently took part in a fantasy baseball draft with uh, a bunch of the Yahoo folks. Yeah, it was, it was called like the, the, the noob draft, right? <laughs> See, there you go. There you go. I'm going I'm to specifically... I don't, I don't know, how, I don't know how, how I'm not involved in this. You know, the whole thing is like, if you, if you were involved me Here on that go. draft, I think you would, not have, you would not have a job right now. Because they'd be like, who invited <laughs> this guy? Because I, I would know where everybody's drafting. I would make like 15 deals in the first round, and you'd be fired on the spot because of me. 
you this is this is what he does in fantasy baseball. He will he will assemble like he will he will do like backroom dealings and figure out who's drafting everyone else, like who who you pick with your first pick, and then create deals to maximize his benefit and all that kind of stuff. But, I I believe my I believe my favorite quote that you've quoted me on was I think I was trying to do a deal with you and which I did get by the way. And and you're like, well, I really want this guy. And I was like, and he's all, but you don't have him on your team. I said, give me five minutes, dude. He'll be on my team. And granted, he, he was on my team. So what, what's what's the question? So I'm this sitting, is the I'm question. Sitting, I'm sitting on the mountain right now. And, I'm, and I'm coming to you. Your, your job right now is to play sort of uh, uh, judge judge bad news ramen, right? Okay. So I, I had the ninth pick in the draft, um, which was out of ten, nine, nine out of ten. At that point. Like my my best available people were essentially Josh Donaldson and Bryce oh. Harper. Okay. Um, now, I, from I saw a lot of mock drafts, a lot of people saying that that's kind of about you know where you where you take Bryce Harper. You you know me, I've owned Bryce Harper in the past. I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm big on Bryce Harper. I did not take Bryce Harper. I picked Josh Donaldson. Um, that, hold on, that is a major that is a major shift from your philosophy. But go ahead. So. It, it, it was a. It was probably the one of the more divisive picks in the entire draft because uh, you could go watch the whole video. You can watch the video of this on Yahoo Sports, by the way. I'll, I'll put it on I, the bottom. I, I already have. Well, not you, <laughs> but I mean other people. Um, I'll put it on the bottom of this post. The podcast is in actually. So uh, you know, and, and some people gave me some crap for it, and I, I had to defend myself. And I said, hey, you know, I I'm not sure about Bryce Harper at this point. Like, you know, great long term value, but no one said this is a keeper league. So if we're just doing a one year draft. I'm going to take Josh Donaldson. Am I so, right or am I wrong? So here, here's here's the thing, and a lot of, there's going to be a lot of fantasy pundits that um, aren't going to agree with this. But whenever anybody makes a makes a draft pick in the first round, saying, "Well, I had to get this guy because he was the best available guy," you always fall flat on your face. Here's the question I have for you: Is that what is who is your and people, they're going to go crazy the second I say this word, like. Every, every, I mean, we're, we're, it's going to go Donald Trump level, where it's just everybody's just going to start rambling on saying crazy stuff. Who was your okay? So who uh, who who was your favorite player available that is a good fancy player at that time? Do you even remember that? Uh, probably Donaldson. Donaldson. So you actually like Donaldson? Like Donaldson is like this is a guy you root for. This is a guy that that you like to follow. This is a guy that when, when you watch baseball, it's like, I want to watch Josh Donaldson play. Is that, is that who was available? I mean, out, out of the, out of the people that are in that range. Yes. Okay. So what, what short, so the other I question mean, I have is like, I, I, what, short, I like, okay. what shortstop was available? What position scarcity was? Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not prepared enough for this right now. <laughs> well, well then don't <laughs> ask the question. Then. <laughs> no, you're asking me questions that I, that I was not, you're, you're taking it far beyond. Like, I don't remember, I don't remember who all was was off the board at that point. I know like the player that I would have you know loved to get. He's not going to follow me at nine. Like I'm big on Chris Bryant, right? Love to have Chris. Okay. Bryant. Yeah, um, Chris Bryant's not going to be there. I would the the guy that I wanted in that position, and he went. I think he went right before me. Was Manny Machado? Like I'm like, there's a chance uh, at nine I can get Manny Machado. Yeah. I would be thrilled with that. Okay. Um, so yeah. See, I, I wouldn't be thrilled with Manny Machado either. So here's here's the thing that I have is like if you like Josh Donaldson better than you like Bryce Harper then by all means, that that's a good pick. I mean, the whole thing is like, we can sit here and go like, well, this guy has more opioids. It's not, to me, that's not important. It's like the, the guys that you start picking at value is going to be like fourth and fifth round. It's like, that's when you start going for best available player with, with your team need. But I've always been under the, uh, uh, you know, proponent that you go with the player that you like, you go with your gut feeling that of, of the player that you like, that you want to have, and that's going to be your first round pick. You don't want a case where you go like, man, like my first round pick is, Josh Donaldson, this guy has a, has a down year. He sucks. I mean, the whole thing is like, if you like that player, right? So it's, it's like me with like, Mike, when we did our draft, our keeper league, like three years ago, I went with Mike Stanton because I just felt Mike Stanton had the most power potential out of everybody. He's gotten hurt the past two years, but I have not regretted that decision once because I like watching Stanton play. And plus he gives me a ton of home runs. Do you, you kind of get the gist of what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. I think you're also looking at it as an outlet to keep you involved in baseball, keep you interested yeah. in baseball. So you, want to if, watch, I mean, so you want to watch the players that you want to watch and you want them on your team so that adds value to, to your experience as a baseball fan. Yeah, I mean, like, the, so like a guy like Chris Bryant, I wouldn't pick a guy like Chris Bryant because I don't really like Chris Bryant. But you can say the same thing about, um, and I, here I go messing up this guy's name. I'm trying to forget. Uh, I'm not trying to forget. I am forgetting. Um, 
who's the dude from uh, Clayton Kershaw, right? Like, I'm not a big fan of Clayton Kershaw, but if Clayton Kershaw is there, I'm going to pick him, right? Yeah. So it's just it's, it's just kind of like a there's so many things that you know people do, and, and all I'm saying is like if you play fantasy sports, develop your own system of of, of how you're going to pick players. Just don't ever go and 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 get a book and it's like okay, this guy's ranked, you know, this guy's ranked higher. I should pick him here. Don't ever do that. I mean, the whole thing is like get the player that you want. If you like okay. Josh Donaldson, if you like Josh Donaldson more than Bryce Harper at that spot, you know what? Good for you. I'm proud of you. I, Good job. I, you didn't answer my question at all. What I wanted you to say was <laughs> that I did the right thing. Did you do the right thing? Uh, did you do the right? So if if I'm an idiot and going like and and if I'm like everybody else, I can say fifty fifty. I can make an argument 50% saying that you did the right thing. I can make an argument saying you should have won with Bryce Harper. My my gut reaction is that I like Donaldson a lot better than Bryce Harper. Uh, Donaldson is is probably even where you picked him. Um, I think you got good value at, at the night spot. You did the right thing because Donaldson across the board uh, does hits four you know hits at least four categories. Uh, he's he's more steady than Bryce Harper. The only thing that you have to worry about Bryce Harper is that if Bryce Harper gets hot. Which he is prone to do, and he he can keep that for extend that for two or three extra months than he usually does. Then then you look stupid. But as of right now, you did the right thing. He I, I, Bryce Harper has a higher ceiling, but a lower floor. I mean, it's how I look at it, right? You know. Yeah. So. And but he's he's still going to be paid four hundred million dollars next year by the Yankees. So there we go. <laughs> I think I think it's two more years, but yeah, two two more years. Um, all right. I want, I want let's go to the topic that that I. I said beginning that I wasn't planning on talking about, but I think we should talk about. It is the 20th anniversary of uh, the death of Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, Christopher Wallace. Um, you, you started off your segment by making a reference to Tupac, and that's why we are now talking about this. Are, are so you, I, don't like, I don't like either one of these guys. No, well, I never I'm, did. I'm not asking you. Like, who, who's your, if you're, you're picking one, who is it? Uh, I'm picking... Well, it's hard because, okay, I'm going to tell you this right now. You never now. get a straight when, answer out of you, man. Well, no, because I, listen, because, because I have to explain myself because I am a deep individual, dude. All right. <laughs> I, I get deep with my thoughts here. I, I sit and actually think, think about these things. All I'm saying is that when, when your best rap song today is broccoli, there's a major problem with rap in general. And I like broccoli. I like that song. And why, the reason why I said this is that now that I listen to Tupac more, now that I listen to Biggie more, um, I have gotten more respect for them. I didn't like them during their hype because um, it was just I thought it was really ch- a cheap way for them to get money doing the whole East Coast West Coast thing. But if you listen to Tupac now, if you listen to the Biggie Smalls now, um, these guys are I mean, they're I mean they should get the accolades that they have been given. If I have to pick one, I'm going to have to go with Biggie Smalls. All right. I, I here is my here is my one of the hottest takes I, I have to offer in the entire world. All right. Mm-hmm. Notorious B.I.G. is the second most overrated rapper of all time. Second most. Who's who's the first most overrated rapper of all that, time? That, that's the key question, right? Tupac is the most overrated rapper of all time. And I say I, that to preface the fact that I would pick Tupac over Biggie. But the fact that the fact that either of them gets called the greatest of all time is is. Oh yeah, no, that's 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 a joke. That's amazing. I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. and, and that's 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 for those are for the people that think that you know you should pick Josh Johnson at the ninth spot or Bryce Harper at the ninth spot because actually, you know what? Hold value. on, a second. I messed that thing up. Biggie is the most overrated rapper of all time. Tupac is the second most overrated rapper, overrated rapper of all time. Why? Why? Why is? Why is? Okay, Biggie's so the most overrated is, rapper of all why time. Why is he the most? Why is the most overrated rapper of all because time? Because everyone thinks he's the greatest of all time. And he only put out two albums, and one of them was a classic, and one of them was like, all right. But see, when when you start when you start saying, oh yeah, well his second album should have never gotten five stars in the source. I mean, give me a break. It's, it's but, half, there's half a good album there. You could cut that down and make it a one disc album that is that is really good. There's a whole there's a whole disc of filler on it. So well, I've I've never take. as you can tell as you can tell with this podcast right here, I'm I'm, I'm not a hype machine guy, right? So yeah. I've never been on the assumption that any of these guys are the top two rappers of all time. No. I can I can say like three rappers right now that are way better than these guys, and I mean we you know you can <laughs> Raekwon, Q-Tip, uh, you know I can even go farther Rock back him, and say Ice Cube. Say you no, know, see I think Rakim's the most overrated rapper of all time, no, but no, 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 no. <laughs> and Ice Cube Ice Cube in his prime. Uh, was really good. Even that dude from the X Clan, uh, uh, brother, brother J, brother J was <laughs> that good for his time. That's what I'm saying. That, that's how. That's how Andre, far I go. Andre Benjamin. Andre Benjamin's Andre good. Benjamin. But so, but I, I'm not under the. I mean, I don't think. 
so if, if you're if you were to approach this argument with the the plebeian eyes that that we have to we have to deal with all the time that's one reason why you're a writer and that's one reason why i'm i'm, I'm one of the, the best guys of all time because i can look through all that crap um but if you look at those those guys work if you look at biggie small's work um i've really started to appreciate what he does uh, i thought you know i i think if, if he had more time you know it was kind of like the same thing like uh my uh, me and my daughter in the car and we we're listening to Nirvana. A Nirvana song came on and she knew who it was. And I said, I said, well, he died. And she's like, well, how he died? I'm like, well, you know, drugs. Because I always say that, right? It's like, so don't do drugs. Like I don't tell my kids don't do drugs, but I said, like, oh yeah, this person died because of drugs. And then they they knew that Biggie Smalls and Tupac died. And she's like, well, why the why they die? I said, well, because you know, stupidity. Um, but what I'm trying to say, if I can even remember what I'm trying to say, I have no is idea that. Yeah, but but it, when when you listen to the overall, overall picture, you're going to go like, man, this guy tells a really great story. Um, if you listen, if you listen back to Biggie Smalls, I, I think with the way, oh, the reason why I said this was because I was wondering, like, okay, how would Kurt Cobain be like now? Like, how would his music have changed? It's kind of the same thing with with Biggie Smalls and Tupac. Is like, how would their music have changed? I th- I felt that if you're going to look at any good rapper if you could see them changing their style or reinventing stuff 10 years from now, that really shows what type of rapper they are. It's like, you can look at MF doom, uh, the way he, the way he is now, you can even look at Q-Tip's new album with, with Sharp Call Quest, how he's changed his rap style. Um, and I, I think that Tupac and Biggie, there's definitely a void left by those two guys. But if you're looking at just, just the best of Biggie's Biggie songs, um, far out class uh the best of tupac songs in terms of lyrics and in terms of, of delivery and style every time i hear uh um that one song with jay-z and biggie smalls together uh new york's finest brooklyn's i gotta throw finest, out a baby dude yeah. yeah brooklyn's finest same thing yeah who cares dude but you know <laughs> ba- baby baby you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it like he does but every time some someone says baby baby I, I point to this guy so i'm pointing to this guy right now you're saying biggie all right i mean the, this is the problem that i have i have a hard time reconciling the fact that to me, Puff Daddy is one of the worst dudes to ever, like, affect hip-hop. So I have a, I have a hard time reconciling the legacy of, of Notorious B.I.G. when a lot of that involves Puffy, and I have to hear Puffy, like, on that second album in the background going, uh-huh, uh-huh, like, all the time. Like, that, that, I, honestly, I feel like it brings it down a little bit for me. And, and, this, and again, like, me saying these guys are totally overrated is not to, not to say they're bad, it, it's just the fact that you have two albums out. Um, you never had a chance to fall off. People consider you the greatest of all time. I just, I, I just can't. It um, doesn't mean you're a bad rapper. I mean, both of those guys are, are great. I mean, I would say, I mean, top, top ten, top twelve at the, at the very least, um, of all time. See, but, you, but not number one. Not number. Yeah, two. yeah, not number one, number two. But the the problem I have with your argument is that okay, yeah. You're, you're looking at the residual effect of Puffy over his whole, whole career. Uh, the two of the first albums that he produced, uh, Craig's Max, Craig's Mac, Craig's Mac, Craig, Craig Max. Max's first album, yeah. 1000 Degrees. Okay, so Craig Max's first album and uh, and Biggie's first album, they're two really good produced albums. I mean, I don't think you're going to find two strong, two strong albums like that. It's everything that happened after. Yeah, but he didn't make uh, the beats on Ready to Die. Like I'm not that, saying he made that's yeah, DJ he, Premier and and all the other guys, man. But don't, he, don't he get Puffy credit for that. I'm not. I'm not. But he helped produce it. And can can Easy I at least Moby. say that? He did. No, I mean, he had a hand in it. <laughs> I mean, he, he gave he gave him that he gave I'm, him that. I'm, I'm never, Look, I'm never going to back down on my Puffy hatred. I'll tell you that straight up. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I'm not telling you to back down on your Puffy hatred. All I'm saying is that you don't don't judge Biggie Smalls by what Puffy has done after. Like, listen. Puffy Puffy is is the biggest bitch in in music because he made a ton of money off of, of Biggie Smalls dying. So I, I totally get what you're saying there. But all I'm saying is that everything that else that Puffy did, okay, don't put that on Notorious B.I.G. I I wouldn't say like this. Like if there's some dude that you like, like like that's your homeboy or something, and then he has that one friend that you're like, how me. Are you, how are you friends with that guy? Yeah, that, that's, what everybody that's what everybody says about you with me. They're like, they, they go to you like, how are you friends with this guy? He sucks. <laughs> so you're you're my puff daddy. Uh, probably am. Yeah, I, I gave you your, <laughs> I gave you your start. I'm trying to make money off of you, and and now I'm now I'm just a, a big time jerk because I never got I never got the limelight that you've got that you're getting right now. <laughs> so I I, I I'm, I'm taking Tupac, um, and you know Biggie. Like Biggie definitely has some great songs. I think you know the first album is is fantastic. 
second album had some really good songs, but you know, it wasn't not a classic, not five mics in the source. Uh, yeah. Definitely overrated. I, I give Biggie, I give Biggie the preference over Tupac for. Here's the things that you everybody finish, they all have they, they, they all they all have their no I'm not going to let you they all have their skeletons in, in their closet because right? I know more than you they all have their skeletons in, the, in their closet right like Tupac was a backup dancer for um, Digital Underground and uh, Biggie Smalls I think one of his first songs he ever did was was this uh, highlight tape from NBA Jams but what I'm saying so you can you can, you can you can you can you can finish it off it's not the one with Mary J Blige it's, it's no it's, I'm saying it, and that one with Mary J Blige yeah. yeah but Mary J Blige is good so. I'll let you finish this whole thing. I'm going to let you finish like Kanye West. But what I'm trying to say is that listen to anything that Biggie Smalls does as a collaborator or as a, or as a guest rapper on any song. Uh, he, he blows, he blows everybody out of the water. No, he's no. always the best. He's always the best rapper on that song. And uh, UPS is hiring. Dude. It's a, it's, 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 it's almost like the, it's one thing that Eminem did. Like Eminem was always sure that if Eminem was on your song, he, he was going to make sure that you look bad um, or you didn't look as good as him. And I mean, I'll give him credit to that. I think Biggie, one of the things that Biggie did well that I respect was the, uh, I mean, he made some of those R&B songs sound good, man. Like the Total song, the 112, like his verses on there were hot. Um, I think that, you know, he's, he's obviously a better technical rapper than Tupac. So I think I'll give him that. Like Tupac, if you're going to break down just the, 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 the you know, technical elements of rap, like not a great rapper, uh, didn't have a particularly strong flow. I mean, rhymed a lot of the same words over and over again. Uh, you know, so Biggie, Biggie was was better in all technical aspects of rap, but I also think that you know we live in a world where um, you know we don't just pick the best rapper based on their technical ability to rap. Um, you know, it's kind of the whole the whole ball of wax, and I think that's kind of where Tupac is. You know, Tupac like I think connected with people better. I think you know um, obviously had a you know more longevity. Um, I think was a was a far more interesting character and, and human and i guess i have a harder time thinking that that all of him was a was a marketing gimmick where you know like biggie did some stuff where i'm just like i don't you know i don't care about hypnotize or, or going back to cali because i know you're trying to make hits man and i know puffy wanted you to make hits and so i don't know i mean obviously i you know if, if they were both alive the whole the whole narrative could change um tupac could have very well fallen off Biggie could have very well fallen off, but at the same time, like one of my friends likes to say, if Tupac were alive, like who knows? Like Tupac could be president right now, like <laughs> like the way, yeah. you know, like so. I, I, he, he definitely, he definitely could. He had the he had, he had the more crossover appeal. I mean, you, you, Biggie, Biggie to me, if if you're gonna, if we can make this analogy, Biggie's like a stone cold, and Tupac is like the rock, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you can go back and forth, and I, I think Biggie. I think too, it all depends. Like you're going to have some circles say like Biggie, you know, in terms of making hits, in terms of, of, of following that path to be successful is like your stone cold, but the rock, you know, you look at the rock today, he has, he has so much crossover potential. He's reaching it now. I felt Tupac was the exact same way. And I don't even like either one of those guys. I watched, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I'm not too ashamed to admit it. I watched a good portion of a movie with the rock in it the other day that I wouldn't have. I, the I tooth fairy. No, not that one. Uh, the one with Kevin Hart, the Central Intelligence one. Oh, that 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 was that was pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> like it was on. I was I was in Arizona for spring training. It was on on HBO, and I watched like half of it, and I was like, oh, why am the, I even the, watching the, this? But I love The Rock, man. I can't I can't front. I mean, I don't the, like the, him as an actor, but I like him as the a, Tooth Fairy is better. You, you like the Tooth Fairy? That's a good movie. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, I, I I thought that that's a tailor made discussion for you and I, Biggie versus Tupac. We'll, we'll save we'll save some other hip hop debates for another day, but. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm gonna listen to Biggie all day because I, you know, I, I obviously appreciate some of it. But I, I was listening to Biggie this morning, and I, and I heard uh, it was what, what song came on. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the Puffy ones, and I just like, oh god, why do I gotta hear Puffy? <laughs> gotta get the cash. Gotta get the dough. Uh, most underrated rapper uh, is Del the Funky Homo Sapien. There we go. We can of end off with that. Del the Funky Homo Sapien. No, is of most all under, time. Uh, underrated rapper of all time. Of all time. Hmm. Um. Yeah, but this this is we can we can say this for later because that, that, all, no, all I mean that's a good pick. All, all your baseball heads are like going like, I just talk about baseball. <laughs> tell me about <laughs> tell me about the Columbia team in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why, why, why did they have to have a, a, an accent on that, dude? Columbia. You got like all you got all Eastern European on me after for a while, right there, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you, you sound like the Iron Sheik, right there, dude. Did I? Iron Sheik. 
Uh, but I, I, okay, so I, I still might honestly say Rakim to that one, just because people don't appreciate how dope Rakim was. Um, he was alright, dude. He, he's, he's alright, dude. dude. Come on. Uh, it's, it's funny to me that a lot of the people that I would have, that I would have said, like when we, because we had these same debates like 15 years ago, right? You and I. Yes. And the people that I would have said at that point are like the greatest of all time. Now I'm going to say they're 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 un- underrated. The most underrated. You know, yeah. like I'm going to be like, oh, Common, Common's underrated these days. <laughs> yeah. Back then I'd be like, Common is the man. Uh, I won't say yeah, I won't no, say Guru because I know I, I know we, uh, we might we might disagree on that one. Not not a great rapper. I think uh, what made, made good. No, uh, technically technically speaking, not a great rapper. Uh, made oh very God. good music though. You know. Yeah, I, I'm not even trying to hear you right now, Nate. <laughs> I, mean, I, can, I can't believe I can't believe you just said Guru's not a great rapper. He's one of the best rappers of all time. He had a, he had a great voice and he made great music, but like technically speaking, not a same thing as Tupac. Not not a fantastic gifted, gifted unlimited rhymes universal. <laughs> you don't even know what he did right there, right? What did he just do right there? Like an acronym. Gifted unlimited rhymes universal. He spelled, he spelled out his name in an acronym. Yeah, see, you didn't even know that, dude. Merch does that you. all the time, man. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of underrated rappers. A lot. We'll we'll but, save that one for another time. Yeah. Most most underrated baseball player uh, in terms of being an all time great is Ty Cobb. There we go. Okay. Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb should be Ty Cobb should be in the discussion for for the best baseball player of all time, and he's relegated to number three behind Babe Ruth and Willie Mays. So you guys can marinate on that for a second, and we can talk about that whenever we want to talk about that. This has been the Stew Pod, y'all. See you next week. <laughs>